is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Time Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Bozar. He's Matt Bozar. Today is Monday, October 24th. We are exactly a week out from Halloween, right, Matt? It's next next Monday's Halloween, right? It is. Yeah, that's right. Spooky season, baby. Yeah, spooky season. Hey, it's it's pretty spooky season in sports right now. We've got a lot a lot of stuff going on. A lot of uh, Buccaneers losing to the Panthers. That's that's going to be kind of sort of a topic today, but we're not going to go too in depth with it. But we're actually going to kind of take it to another level and talk about another team in that sense. And then we're going to have some college football talk as well. We're also going to talk about the Bengals because the Bengals are well. If you watched their game yesterday, or if you heard it on the radio or something like that, it was it was pretty much just excite as exciting what or hearing it on the radio as it was watching it because we were in the car for what 13 hour no well about 12 and a half hours yesterday and it was a long car ride back from maine back to back down to virginia and so we were listening to nfl red zone basically the whole way and that's what made the drive pretty bearable so uh yeah that's that's that matt what do you got on the other end well yeah we actually spent the weekend together that's why we didn't have a podcast on yes. thursday uh we were we, we went to Maine for our cousin's wedding. So uh, she got married and they've been dating for like 10 years. So it was definitely a treat to see them get married. But as Hayden said, and then I just mentioned too, that so they live in New Hampshire, but they got married in Maine. And so we drove essentially because a flights are out of this world expensive right now. And also road trips are fun. Sometimes we haven't been on a good, you know, good long road trip in a while. So yeah. So we drove to and from Maine. So we drove about, I guess 24 hours, probably over 24 hours yeah. uh, in the span of basically yeah. three days. So, um, but it was fun. It was worth it to be there and, and super cool. And Maine, it, like everyone says, Maine is the state that like is so aesthetically pleasing and so beautiful to look at. And, and that, and it really did kind of satisfy all of that. Like everything that you hear about it, it reigns true. Now you do kind of have to, it, it's not besides, I guess the kind of major city, because we were not in anywhere close to, <laughs> anything yeah, like the city nah. we were just in the middle of nowhere um and so i think that you know if you live there you're probably somewhere around it but yeah where we were at was, was definitely kind of in the middle of nowhere but it almost made it even better just because it was kind of like very secluded and a great weekend overall um but yes definitely good that we are back because you know as much as it was fun being there it was definitely a long drive and uh definitely had to get had to get the pot up that's that's the that's the most important exactly yeah, it, actually, we also caught it at the right time, too, because apparently, well, fall anywhere is is a pretty aesthetically pleasing season just because of the leaves and the, the different colors on the trees. But, dude, se- seriously, every single tree that we passed in Maine was a different color. And it was, that's what made it even prettier, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It was just we, we literally caught it at the exact right time and that's also why our cousin chose to got chose to get married there because they don't even live in maine they live in new hampshire but she chose to get married in maine basically just for that reason so that she could have a really pretty background to her wedding and she got married outside and it was it was it was really nice it was also good temperature wise because you might be thinking hey and near the end of october in maine it's probably gonna get pretty cold up there no it actually was well it wasn't 
you know, warm, but I think it was, you know, mid fifties, sixties, the whole time that we were there. And, and it's funny because we were talking to our grandmother who also lives in, in New Hampshire. And um, she was saying that, right, they've had, they've gotten snow at this time earlier than this, you know, in that, in this time of the year in previous years. And so it was kind of a gamble to just be like, all right, we're going to do it, you know, regardless, but really couldn't have picked a better time. So it was definitely a very enjoyable weekend, um, you know, aesthetically pleasing, but also just comfortable temperature wise. And, and so, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it, but uh we're here for sports. So that's what, that's what we get to guys. got to get to talk about. That's right. And before we hop into our first NFL topic, I just got word that James Robinson got traded to the jets. So James Robinson, the former Jaguars running back who basically got his job taken over by Travis Etienne over the past couple of weeks. I think yesterday Etienne had something like 74% of his total snaps. And I think that James Robinson had a total of 17% of the snaps, which is pretty bogus i mean Travis Etienne is good but james robinson if you've seen him play when he's not injured which is you know i mean he's got he's had a little bit of injury history but when he's not injured and when he's fully healthy he goes crazy like he's such a good running back and so i think there was very good reason for the jaguars to trade uh james robinson to the jets and obviously with Brees hall being out for the rest of the season with a torn acl that's exactly why the jets made that trade but I'm also happy that he went to the Jets because I have James Robinson on two of my fantasy teams. And while he was doing pretty well at the beginning of the season, he had a couple of games where he had a touchdown or two touchdowns or something like that. He's just been very, very bad recently. He had no touches yesterday. He, I think he had one target through the air and he had absolutely no touches on the ground. So yeah, I'm very happy about that. And we will see how James Robinson does in, in, New York and obviously New York is making a move like this in order to extend their success this season, um, which is which, in my opinion, is a, is a really good move. So with that being said, let's get into our actual first NFL topic. Now, everyone will be talking about the Packers and the Bucks after both teams drop another game and they are now both below. 500 um, in terms of record. We've talked about it each of the last two weeks. So we've been pretty early on this and we won't belabor the point any further. Instead, let's talk about another hot topic over the last few weeks. And that is Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. We've kind of been dancing around this topic a little bit and we kind of did so in a way that that was a little bit funny with our Broncos country fun segment that, that we did a little bit ago. But after this week's result, we now have proof that the Seahawks are just as good without Russell Wilson, if not maybe a little bit better in some cases. Likewise, the Broncos definitely haven't improved since their addition of Russell Wilson, and they're paying him a, a bunch of money literally just for nothing. So there's a lot coming out regarding Russ's persona and leadership as well, while both while he was in uh, Seattle and while he's now in, in, in Denver. So, Matt, what do we think of this situation and the validity of Russell Wilson actually being a good quarterback? Yeah, it sounds like a hot topic, but I don't really think it is. And mostly because everyone has kind of been culminating to this point. There's been, well, I mean, obviously, based on Russell Wilson's performance so far this year, there hasn't been much that's that's been good about it. And so as a result, people started coming after people started, you know, coming out and saying, right, he's not he's not that good. He was supposed to be amazing. And, you know, this Broncos team that has everything except a quarterback just needed a quarterback and he looked like a surefire thing. And then it turns out that he's he's really not. Now, could that turn around? Very, very possibly. Yes. But 
The reason that we're going to talk about this now is because that question that I just asked, is it the case that Russell Wilson gets better automatically 100% makes this Broncos team into a play, you know, and it gets them into the playoffs and everything that they were wishing for. Will that actually become true? You, you, yes, there's a, it's a possibility, but I think that based on this past week res, week's result, in addition to obviously everything that we've seen so far in the rest of the season, we can almost kind of say that maybe not, right? That, that, that may not be a fact that Russell Wilson is just going to, you know, automatically be on the same page as all of his receivers. And, and you know, this offense is going to start putting up 20, 30 points a game because for the simple reason that the team that he just left, the Seahawks, are actually in first in the NFC West. They're, they're leading the division, which they were supposed to finish last. Their win total was among the three worst, I think, in the entire league, like projection for how the Seahawks were supposed to do. And they're four and three. They have a winning record. They've beaten team. Well, they beat the Broncos, obviously, in the first game. Everybody's saying, oh, well, that's a fluke, whatever, whatever. But they've looked convincing in these other games. I mean, that Chargers performance on Sunday, like, I mean, I think more and more now is coming out about how the Chargers might not be, you know, the exalted team that we that we assume them to be anyway. But but still, the Chargers are a very solid organization. They have a lot of really good players on their team. And the Seahawks were up by 20 points in this game. I mean, I think the Chargers scored a garbage time touchdown to make this look a little bit closer. But but the Seahawks dominated this game. They went up 14-0 and never looked back. I mean, they were in control the entire time. And even when it got a little bit closer, you're thinking, hold on, there's about six minutes left here. You know, see what see what might happen here. Kenneth Walker, you know, Kenneth, Kenneth Walker the third busts it for a 75-yard touchdown game over right? And they put up 37 points. We saw that game against the Lions where, you know, the Seahawks won like 48 to 45 or something. Their offense is humming. Geno Smith, there's been a lot of, you know, coming out about him, how he's just completely transformed his game and, and, and he's looking like a different person and their defense in some cases is looking really good in other cases, not. So that's, the, that's what we're looking at here is that the Seahawks are, are finding a lot of success after Russell Wilson was supposed to have been gone and their team is in shambles and they're rebuilding through the draft. And it's, you know, who knows when the Seahawks are going to be relevant again, because the only reason that they, you know, were, were so good for all those years was because they had the Legion of Boom. They were defensively minded, obviously. And then Russell Wilson kind of stepped in that situation, played really well, did what he was supposed to do and blossomed under that, you know, under that regime and and now is kind of you know exalted as oh he's possibly you know a hall of fame quarterback i'm not we're not going to get into any of that talk today but but the point is like based on the results that we've seen the seahawks are performing really well above expectations and even if even if we did have higher expectations of the, of the seahawks if you would have told me anyone like even if russell wilson was playing for the seahawks you said okay the, the seahawks have a winning record after seven games or or if Russell Wilson's playing for the Seahawks and you say, okay, the Seahawks are, are four and three after seven games, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Russell Wilson, like he was really great when they had great defenses, but there hasn't been much to support him in all these past years. So yeah, I could see them being four and three. Obviously we saw the last two years. It was kind of a lot of that where, you know, they weren't winning that many games, despite the fact that Russell Wilson was kind of their quarterback. And he was really the only piece to their team that was, that seemed like, you know, he was, he was going to have to carry the entire deal. And so now you look at it and you think, well, this team looks the exact same. And I think that I found the answer. It's the coaching. It is Pete Carroll because, and we see this time and time again, coaches, analytics, you know, that's all the big, the big rage nowadays is I'll oh, get someone in there who, who, you know, who can do math on the spot and who can put the right guys in the right places. Yes. But if you, if you don't, 
plan your team, your game, your style of play around the players that you do have, you're not going to have success. And I feel that that's exactly what happened when Russell Wilson got to the Seahawks in the first place. They knew they had a great defense. The Legion of Boom is, is now, you know, forever ingrained in the history books of the NFL, all those great defense. And so what you needed was you just need, and obviously Marshawn Lynch was the running back. You only needed Russell Wilson to do so much. And that's what he did. He excelled at. So yes, he hasn't, he is an above average quarterback, but the way that Pete Carroll designed the offense was such that we're going to focus on the run first because we have beast mode, Marshawn Lynch, and we're going to, you know, run bootlegs, run play action off of that. See what we can do with Russell Wilson. He has legs. He can move and he can throw the deep ball better than anybody else. We get some, you know, long, deep shot wide receivers on the outside. We'll be good to go. Right. And that's what happened. And they had success that way. Okay, cool. So now you see Russell Wilson leave. Who steps in is Geno Smith back to revive his career, right? Like, you know, who, who knew that that was ever going to happen because he's played on like four teams by now and hasn't really done much in his entire career up until now. And they, he, you know, obviously, right. A forgotten aftermath of, of, of the NFL and after his amazing career at West Virginia and all that stuff. And he's looking, he's looking exactly like Russell Wilson. And you're thinking, how is that possible? And it's literally, it's, 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 it's perfection of coaching. That's it's, that's what it is. It, because if you're not developing a system that fits your quarterback around what the offense's capabilities are, then you're not going to win games. But if you can do that successfully, even semi-successfully, you're going to find yourself in a position to win games. And I think the, another great example of this is Brian Dable in, in New York with the Giants. We've seen Daniel Jones just never really be able to do anything in the first four years in the NFL for him. And he's like, you know, right. Giants are talking all like the front office has literally come out and been like, yeah, we're not going to pick up his fifth year. Like we feel so bad because we've kind of, you know, we've kind of ruined his career, but you know, he's probably just not the guy for us. And then Brian Dable comes in a great offensive mind. And he says, look, we know that Daniel Jones is not Patrick Mahomes. So we're not going to make him be Patrick Mahomes. He has, he, surprisingly enough, he has good speed and he can run the ball well. We also have Saquon Barkley. He's a really good running back, similar to the situation in Seattle with Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch, where you, know, you have a good defense and all that. And so what Brian Dable has done in New York is the same thing that Pete Carroll is doing in Seattle, where you, it doesn't matter that you don't have a generational talent Hall of Fame quarterback. As long as you supply him with what he needs to be able for him to use his, you know, the skills and capabilities that he does have to succeed, then you're going to be able to do it. And so that's where I think that the argument is, yes, Pete Carroll's an amazing coach and probably the best coach in the, coach in the history of football, in my mind. He's the only coach to ever win a national championship in college and a Super Bowl in the NFL. That's like... Basically, I mean, that's that's the best thing that you can do as a college or as a, as a football coach in general is win a championship. And he's done it at both of the hardest levels of football and competition. And I think it's because he just understands how people play. He understands how teams work and play together. And he's able to fit his scheme to what his players are able to do. And so that's where I think we see, oh, my gosh, you know, Russell Wilson sucks. Well, I don't think Russell Wilson sucks. I just don't think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And that now that he's out of that system with Pete Carroll, we're seeing that, you know, the coaching and, and, and everything that he's comfortable with. Sometimes that takes a little bit to get used to, but it also very much benefits a quarterback, especially quarterbacks to be in a good situation where they are fostered by their offensive coordinator and their, and their head coach and put in a, in a situation to succeed based on the capabilities that they have and that they're not expected to do a lot more than they're, you know, than they, than they can really. Um, and so that, and that I think hopefully sums up kind of what the point is here is like, you know, and, and Geno Smith, yes, he's playing above the level that he is expected to. I, I totally get that. Like he, 
has never played like this before, but I think that's credit to Pete Carroll who has saw, who saw what Geno Smith was, knew what he could do and said, Hey, we're going to provide you with a system such that you are confident when you're throwing these passes and we will make it, make it happen to where we can win ball games. And that's what's happening. And so realistically, you don't need a hall of fame quarterback and Russell Wilson to be in that system. And then when Russell Wilson does go to another system, it doesn't look that great because he's not provided with the same system, the same situation that he was before. So that's kind of my whole read on the situation here. I, I, I don't think Russell Wilson is going to look in Denver like he did in Seattle. He's also a little bit older at this point, right? I mean, he's not, he's not, he's probably past his prime, uh, you know, because of how long he did spend in Seattle and he got a Super Bowl ring and all that. So he's, he's a great quarterback, but I just don't think that he'll ever reach the level that he did in Seattle in Denver. Maybe it'll take a few years, but even by then he'll be even older and, and, and who knows? So I think that, you know, and, and it's really, I mean, you know, I can keep going here. I'm going to stop pretty soon, but it really sucks for the Denver defense because this is the best defense in the NFL, like points per game, yards per play, everything. The Broncos defense is number one in the NFL and they keep losing games. And obviously Russell Wilson didn't even play in this past game. So, you know, there's, there's some, there's some other stuff there, but I mean, the Broncos are literally, if they could have a, you know, a quarterback who could make some plays there, that they, they would be the Super Bowl contender immediately. And I'm not saying that Russell Wilson can't make plays. I'm just saying that we shouldn't expect him to just take whatever he can get and go make plays right away. It, it takes a little bit of time to understand the system of an offense, but it also takes time to gel with your head coach and be able to tell him like, look, this is kind of what I need to be, to be dealing with here. And, and I think that he's not used to that because he never had to do that in Seattle where Pete Carroll took, took care of all that stuff for him. So, so that's my take on the, on the, on the whole Russell Wilson situation. I almost feel bad for the guy because he's been getting so much crap and, and everybody's coming after him. And obviously he's a little bit corny with the whole, you know, Broncos country thing. And then, you know, every press conference, he's like, Oh, well, you know, we, Hey man, we're, we're, we're going to be good. And he does that weird voice and everything, but, that's all he can do right now because he doesn't know what's going on either. And I think that this is kind of the reason behind all of it is that the situation was just perfect in Seattle. It was perfect for Geno Smith. Well, it was perfect for Russell Wilson. It's now perfect for Geno Smith. And I think Pete Carroll is the coach that's behind all this. It's not necessarily Russell Wilson's, you know, extremely amazing talent that, that's, that, that portrays him as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Hayden, what do you think? Yeah. Also the, there was a big debate last, well, last offseason really, when the whole trade talks about Russell Wilson were coming out and, and the fact that basically one person was going to go either Russell Wilson was going to be traded or Pete Carroll was going to go and they were going to keep Russell Wilson. And I think that whoever the GM is in Seattle, I don't know who it is, but whoever that is made the perfect decision. I think Matt was Matt hit the nail on the head when he said that it's Pete Carroll. That is the reason why Seattle has had so much, so much success in the past and you might be sitting here saying, okay, well, why were the Seahawks so bad in Russell Wilson's last years there? And I think it's because Russell Wilson was kind of a problematic guy. Like it, it, a lot of people have come out and said, a lot of Seahawks players have come out and said that, right, he was not the best locker room guy. He didn't have the best persona. He didn't really, and I, they have, I mean, nobody really specifies why, but it's just been, it's just kind of come out in some stories about Russell Wilson that, right, he wasn't really, this like really corny guy who is always behind everybody and says, okay, Broncos country, you know, let's ride and, and everything like that. And coins these sayings, like he's, he might seem like that to the media, but then I think behind closed doors, he's not the best locker room guy for whatever reason. I mean, we could sit here and we could try to say, okay, well, he might not be the best supportive leader and he might not be the best leader in general. You know, he might not like 
talk to a lot of guys, whatever. I mean, whatever the case may be, he just wasn't the best for team cohesion, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so Pete Carroll, right. He, he was, he wasn't able to deal with that. And he had a quarterback that probably was disagreeing with him on a lot of things that actually came out to be true as well. That like, they just, just they, they didn't agree on a lot of stuff at the end of Russell Wilson's time in Seattle. And so that's why they traded him. But again, a lot of people were saying like, well, I, I actually, I think I was one of the people that said, get rid of Pete Carroll. I, Cause I thought that Pete Carroll was the problem. And I obviously didn't know what I was talking about at all because now we see that Geno Smith is having so much success in Seattle. And like Matt said, that is exactly because of Pete Carroll. It's not because of anybody else. And I think that Geno Smith is, is also a guy who came into the league at, and you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time, he got drafted by the jets. I'm pretty sure he played there for like a couple of years. I think he started for like a year and a half maybe. And then he got benched and he just hasn't really had, a chance since he's, he's been a backup ever since and nobody's really gotten to see his potential since then. And I think this is like 2013, 2014 is when he entered the league. And so this guy, like you want to talk about a guy that's just gotten kind of screwed up by the way that the league works. I think Geno Smith is a, is a perfect example of that. I, I heard people saying, like, I mean, he was really good at West Virginia. Like if you look at his, if you look at his tape in college and again, it's not guaranteed that a good college quarterback is going to be a good NFL quarterback, but if you look at his college tape at West Virginia, I remember I, I I used to watch him all the time at West Virginia back in like 2011 and 2012. And he was a really good quarterback. Like he he didn't really do anything wrong. And when you put a guy who's good and a good scheme in a good scheme like Pete Carroll's, it, good things happen. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here with Seattle. And with the whole Russell Wilson thing, like Matt said, I mean, in Denver, he could have the same kind of leadership problems, the same kind of persona problems that that he's had in Seattle. And if those are already beginning to show, it's going to be a long, what, eight years that he's there that his contract is, is set up for. So it's like you're sitting there and you're thinking, OK, well, it's it's got to be either Russell Wilson who changes or Nathaniel Hackett who changes. It's it, a lot of people are probably looking at Nathaniel Hackett saying that he's the problem because he's a defensive mind and they have such a good defense, but their offense just isn't really clicking Whatever the case may be, right, you've, you've got to fix something one way or the other. I don't think that they're going to fire Nathaniel Hackett if they have a really bad season. It it probably won't happen um, just because, I don't know, you, you got to give the guy another chance. Matt and I are huge advocates or, of giving coaches a second chance and not just firing them after one bad, bad year. I think that a new head coach and a new quarterback in the same season is is really tough to get right. Like that's that's kind of the what my point is at the end of the day is that it's really like you're not going to get it perfectly right. If you do, then yippee, you're probably going to win a Super Bowl in Russell Wilson's eight years there. But right now, I think it's yeah, it's just it's just kind of up in the air of, of where Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett's status um, are at. And right. If they can get their offense right, like Matt said, best defense in the league in terms of efficiency and, and statistics and everything like that. So you've got one piece and you just really need to fix the other piece because even, even teams that have had really, really good defenses in the past and kind of mediocre offenses, AKA like the Patriots are, I think are, are a great example of during their Super Bowl runs with Tom Brady. Like, yeah, they had the best quarterback in the NFL, but a lot of people don't talk about the fact that the Patriots had basically a top five defense every single one of those years. And yes, Tom Brady's offense was pretty good because he was there. But a lot of times he didn't, he had what, like Wes Welker as his best receiver or Julian Edelman as his best receiver. And yes, he had Gronk too, but like 
you, you've got one really good short, short receiver. That's white and like five ten, and out of, you know, middle Tennessee, Minnesota state. And you've got him lining up in the slot and he's your best receiver. And then you got Gronk. Like it's, it's one of those things where like, you don't really need a good offense to, to win a championship with a really good defense, but this offense is like so screwed up to the point where it's, it's almost irreparable with, uh, with, with Russell Wilson there. But I think we will see that Russell Wilson is going to get a little bit better with Nathaniel Hackett getting better scheme wise. Time for conspiracy as well. I, I wish we had Hayden, you might have to find some sort of like sound drop to put in here for conspiracy time because it gets okay. pretty deep. All right. So here, let me explain it to you. Nathaniel Hackett, who's the head coach of the Broncos right now, used to be the offensive coordinator with the Packers for probably three, maybe four years. So I guess probably as long as Matt LaFord's been there. So yeah, the last three years in which the Packers went three, uh, 13 and three in each of those three years. And obviously had, I think three straight NFC championship losses, maybe two. Yeah. I think two out of the three years they went to the NFC championship and lost could have been super bowl, all this stuff, number one seed, everything, right? The Packers have, and you guys know, I mean, you watch football, like Packers have been really good. Part of what the whole deal was with Denver was, you know, right. We we've, we've completely built up this team. One of the best defenses in the league, all these weapons at wide receiver. You think of Corton Sutton, Jerry, Judy, you know, KJ Hamler, all these guys who were like first round draft picks, all we need is a quarterback. Well, I think what they were trying to do, and this was coming out during the time we may have even po- talked about on the podcast before they signed Russell Wilson, the Broncos were trying to get Aaron Rodgers. Now, obviously that never actually happened because Rodgers re-signed with Green Bay and he's making a, you know, like third most money in the league, you know, of any quarterback. And so I think kind of their backup plan then was Russell Wilson. Obviously that seems to not have been the best choice, but, but who knows again, like Aiden said, right. You, you, you do need time to, to gel with your, with your coaches and your receivers and everything like that, you know, next year might be, might be any, you know, might be way better, but I think what fell through was the Packers or the Broncos were trying to get Aaron Rodgers to come and leave green Bay, come to Denver where his former offensive coordinator is now the head coach. And since all of that has fallen through, it's just like been a complete downward spiral for the Broncos now after this whole thing. Like, I think that was kind of their master plan behind the scenes. And then somehow like Aaron Rodgers was like, nah, I'm just going to stay in Green Bay. Now, I don't know like how much he actually was talking to the people in Denver or like, you know, what the percentage chance of him was actually going to be to go to Denver. But I remember that, you know, this past spring, like April, May time, it was pretty serious. It was like Aaron Rodgers might go to the Broncos. And obviously you have first year head coach, Daniel Hackett, who, used to be the offensive coordinator in Green Bay, who, you know, obviously Matt LaFleur is, is you know, he it's kind of his system. But if Nathaniel Hackett has enough, I guess, authority to be able to call the plays in Green Bay, he clearly knows the offense just as well. And if Aaron Rodgers already knows that offense, then they've, you know, had three straight 13 and three seasons and been to, almost been to the Super Bowl two out of those three seasons. Look, think about the success that the Broncos could have had. So in another universe where the Broncos got Aaron Rodgers, this would have been, I can't even imagine, right? And on the other side of that coin, you now now have Aaron Rodgers sitting here with the Packers at like three and four, losing to three of the worst teams in the NFL. Well, not, I guess not worst teams. Giants and Jets are two of the best teams in the NFL, but historically three of the teams that they should have, that I literally was looking at their schedule and I was like, thank God we get to play these teams three, you know, three weeks in a row. That's three easy wins. Now have turned into three straight losses in those games. And the Packers are actually going to have to, you know, pick themselves up the, off the ground and see if they can even make the playoffs at this point. Cause that's not looking like they can. And so it's like this crazy alternate universe type of deal where like the Packers didn't trade, or I guess the Broncos didn't get Aaron Rodgers from the Packers. And so Nathaniel Hackett now sucks with Russell Wilson because he was expecting to get Aaron Rodgers. Then in the meantime, Aaron Rodgers is not doing well with the Packers. 
Packers and the Packers are like, man, we probably should have just traded away Aaron Rodgers contract because we're paying him all this money and he's not doing anything. And we could have gotten someone else. And we could have drafted like all this stuff, man, is actually pretty deep. And you think about it and I don't know, I guess in another world, we, we may have seen what this looked like and the Broncos could be contending for a Super Bowl, Super Bowl right now, but instead both the Packers and the Broncos look like they might not even make the playoffs. Yeah, that's exactly right. Also another little side note before we move on to our next topic in the NFL, the Giants, who are six and one right now, which is crazy to say, they actually play the Seahawks in Seattle, who and the Seahawks, like Matt said, are four and three right now. And that's happening this coming week in Seattle, like I said. And the Giants are two and a half point road underdogs. And like if you th- if you think about this game, if you told me at the beginning of the season that this game between the Seahawks and the Giants was going to be probably one of the best games of the week, or at least a, a good a game between two teams with a winning record. I'd probably tell you to kick rocks. All right. But no, like I'm the one kicking rocks now because dude, this game is actually going to be probably one of the best of the week. Like I, I would not be surprised. It's probably not gonna be the game of the week. I don't really know. I can't really tell you what the other games are for next week. I haven't seen what, what the slate is for next week, but let me just tell you that, I would not be surprised if this becomes the game of the week because it's actually it's probably gonna be like a 425 game and it was probably on slate to be a one o'clock game or a Thursday night game or something like that earlier in the year. But let me tell you, it's probably gonna be a 425 game this weekend and I'm actually really excited to watch it. That's like that's it's crazy that I'm saying that, but it's gonna be a great game. Well, and the other thing is the Sunday night game next week is the Packers and the Bills, which before the season started, you're thinking, oh my God, those are two undefeated teams. Those are the two best teams in the league. The two, you know, the best team in the AFC versus the best team in the NFC. Not looking like that anymore because I think the Bills might whomp the Packers in that game. And so you're thinking this game between the Giants and Seahawks could possibly be better, should be flexed into the Sunday night position to replace the Bills and the Packers. What has the world come to? But that's the NFL and that's why we love it. And we always keep coming back to it. All right, next topic in the NFL is about the Bengals. So they have returned to looking like the team that made the Super Bowl last year. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how, you know, the Bengals look good on paper, but they just weren't putting it together on the field and they weren't scoring very, very many points and their losses all came by one score. Well, Joe Burrow has thrown for 781 yards, six touchdowns and zero interceptions in the last two games, two games. That's his stat line in two games. All three of the receivers, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd have had at least one game with 100 yards and a touchdown. The uh, it Actually, in the, in the game against the Falcons a couple of days ago, um, the, Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd both had 100 yards and a touchdown before halftime. Okay, so kind of proves how well this offense, uh, you know, is, is really is really performing. And so really the question becomes if this continues this amazing performance by the Bengals offense and just, you know, looking like the Super Bowl team that they were last year, could we see the Bengals make another deep playoff run? I think maybe, but it's just, I, I think I would be very confident in this if it weren't for the other AFC teams being so good. And that's, I'm talking about the Bills and the Chiefs. Now, at the beginning of the season, I probably would have, if you would have said that the Bengals were going to be better than the Chiefs this year, I would have maybe questioned you a little bit. I would have, I would have maybe looked at you a little bit funny, but thinking about it, like that wouldn't make, that wouldn't be an outlandish take in my opinion, just because the Bengals got to the Super Bowl last year and the Chiefs didn't. That's simple, you know, simple point, period, point blank. But right, I think that what we're looking at here is is a little bit reminiscent of last season. And I kind of pointed out, I, I kind of called this, I think. And it's the fact that, right, the Bengals had these early season struggles, the same exact early season struggles that they had last year with Joe Burrow getting sacked a lot, the offensive line not looking very good, the defense looking a little bit iffy. The defense still is not where they were in the playoffs last year, but 
that will probably come along with all this confidence that the offense is giving them now that Joe Burrow is throwing for 700 yards and seven touchdowns and zero interceptions across three games. That's great. So I think what we're seeing here, I, I also think that a very glaring product of this is that Joe Burrow is getting the bit rid of the ball faster. I've watched some clips from, from their recent games and that like they're, I think they've kind of come to the conclusion that right. If Joe Burrow gets rid of the ball fast within two seconds, he can't really get sacked, right? He, he can't really run into defensive guys guys that are getting around the linemen and, and, you know, doing spin moves and everything like that. Like you can't get sacked if you get rid of the ball quick. And so yesterday, I think we saw a lot of Joe Burrow just kind of either dumping it off to Joe Mixon in, in the flat or getting it off to Jamar Chase on like a little hook route or a little hitch route or whatever you want to call it. And then that opened up the deep ball, which he had to Tyler Boyd in the, at the beginning of the game. And then he also had the Jamar Chase on, I think two touchdowns over 30 yards. So it's like, that's what that's what happens when you have very good playmakers, the best wide receiver core in the whole league and one of the best quarterbacks in the whole league. Right. It was very confusing why they couldn't put it together early in the season. But I think the combination of Joe Burrow getting the ball out faster and getting it out quicker and just not really like not really hesitating on what on what he's deciding and during a play and just relying on the fact that he's Joe Burrow and he, he can make plays and that he can trust his intuition during a play. I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Also, the scheme that they're running, I think, is is just better overall because, right, the offensive coordinator is putting Joe Burrow in a position to make quick decisions, and, he, and he's kind of, you know, designing plays to the point where Joe Burrow can make a, a quick decision and can get the ball out quick in many ways and not just one. There's not just one short route. There's many short routes and then maybe a, a, a long, deep route that he can hit as well. So... I think that they're kind of switching up the scheme in in Cincinnati, but I don't know if I can't I don't know if I can really trust them to make a deep run in the playoffs this year. Maybe maybe AFC championship, but I think that's even a stretch. Just we'll have to see how things go in terms of seeding. But right now I just, I see the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC championship, and that's just how it is. So could be, but I mean, hey, the Bengals were very significant underdogs to the Chiefs in the NFC or the AFC Championship last year, and look what happened. So anything is possible. I I do agree with Hayden's analysis of this where, right, you know, this is how they were supposed to look coming into the season. I think, you know, they were projected to get, I think, 10 wins. And so, you know, I think they're on pace to kind of achieve that now. So I think that, you know, they've definitely turned around their performance, but it's not anything, not anything that we weren't expecting, I guess, coming into the season, at least, because we we knew how potent this offense was and, and how much they could perform, especially in big games. So now that they're doing that, it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, this is, this is what they should look like. And, and obviously it's good for all the Cincinnati fans and everything to, to be able to see this kind of you know, happen before their eyes. That way it's like some validity of like, okay, well, we actually, we, we can do this now. We're, we're, we're looking like we su- we're supposed to look. And, and now, you know, we're in, we're in contention for, uh, you know, for at least, at least a playoff spot, potentially, right. Making a big run. I think Hayden mentioned a good point too, which is, and this is the point that we made on the last time that we talked about the Bengals was right. Okay. They're looking great in all these games, but they're losing on like, you know, the like last second of all these games too. But it turned out that all those games they last in the, they lost, I think it may be, all three of their losses still are came on last second field goals, but it's like they were, I think in that analysis, we dove a little bit deeper and we saw that in each of those three games, they were down by double digits at some point. So it's not like they were in front of these games and they're blowing it and they're losing leads like the Ravens. Um, But it's, you know, they're at least, you know, they were still competitive, but they were still losing these games and teams that they probably shouldn't have lost to. 
And part of that was, right, Joe Burrow's getting sacked. And what happens is when you get sacked as much as Joe Burrow was getting sacked, you end up with like, you know, a second and 16 and you're, you're, you're playing behind the chains. So you can't get your offense moving as much as you would want to be simply because you're kind of having to force it. And so when you don't have to force it, it's a lot better. Now, obviously the offensive line, it takes a little bit to kind of, you know, get everyone together and make make sure that everyone knows how to play together and, and you know, getting some getting some solidity on, solidity on there. Uh, but also a big part of this was what we too mentioned was that Joe Burrow was could have been, you know, the part of the blame for a lot of these sacks that were occurring. And Hayden mentioned it too. He's getting the ball out faster now. So, though, you know, some of those sacks that may, may truly have been caused by him holding the ball a little bit longer, not really the case anymore. Ergo, more yards, more points, and the Bengals look like, you know, one of the best offenses in the league again. All right, moving on to college football. Now, we're just going to go over the biggest games from Saturday because it was a pretty big, pretty crazy weekend in college football as as per usual. And all these games included some crazy comebacks. Now, the first one we're going to talk about here is Oregon over UCLA. And this wasn't, I don't think this was really a comeback much, but it was it was basically just Oregon trampled UCLA the whole entire game. They ended up winning forty five to thirty, and yeah, it was it was it was a crazy game. Now Bo Nix is a guy that we looked at early in the season, and especially in that for I think it was their first game against Georgia. He just looked absolutely terrible. He threw like five picks or something like that. But this game against UCLA, he threw I think it was like twenty two for twenty eight. And he threw for 300 some yards and five touchdowns. So he had almost as many touchdowns as incompletions in this game. Actually, I think until one point in the fourth quarter, he had more touchdowns and incompletions. And he somehow at the end of the game, he threw a couple incompletions and that kind of screwed that stat lineup. But that would have been really cool if he finished with more touchdowns and incompletions in this game. And this is actually a really crazy, crazy game because, right, we didn't really, well, after the first game against Georgia, we didn't really expect Oregon to do much. And we didn't really expect UCLA to be this good before this game. So it was like kind of two unexpected things coming into this game and Oregon ended up winning and breaking UCLA's win streak. And it's, it it was just, it was super surprising to see that, but also it shakes up a lot of things in the PAC 12. I don't know if Matt was going to talk about this, but essentially like, I think USC still has to still has to play UCLA and Oregon still has to play Utah. And basically if Oregon beats Utah, I don't know, it'll do something to where like, there's like a three-way tie for the for first place in the Pac-12. I think if Oregon beats Utah and then if UCLA beats USC, I think that there's going to be like some kind of three-way tie if those teams obviously went out for the rest of the season as well. There's going to be a three-way tie for first in the Pac-12. And this is exactly the problem that we're running into that we talked about in, in the beginning of the season, which is like the Pac-12, they just screw it up for themselves in terms of teams having a chance to get into the playoff. None of them ever have a chance to get into into the playoff because they always just beat each other and have these like weird, unexpected wins over one another. And it's, it's against teams that you would expect maybe like maybe a little bit of an upset to happen, right? Oregon over uh, Oregon over UCLA isn't that big of an an upset, but I mean, it's, it still was an upset nonetheless. So like, I don't know. It's, it just, it just reaffirms everything that we were talking about at the beginning of the season. Matt, what do you think? I think you're right. And Although, yes, it sucks for the Pac-12, it is good, though, that at least they have a lot of teams in the top 25 to be able to make these games good and marquee and so that people watch them. Because I think that's really been like the the absolute killer for the Pac-12 in past years is that there's only one team that's ever in the top 25 and then, you know, they get into like the top 10 and they're undefeated and then they lose to 
you know, a random team in the Pac-12, and then it just all goes to crap, and they don't ever, you know, get any representation. But this year, I mean, you basically have three teams, well, prior to this week, you had three teams from the Pac-12 in the top 10. You still have two, Oregon and UCLA, or sorry, Oregon and USC, and then UCLA is like number 12 or something like that, and they're still a really, really good team. We didn't expect Oregon to do this to UCLA. In fact, the spread on the game, if you were going to bet on the game, it was Oregon minus seven. So, you know, pretty big spread. And obviously they were at home and they had looked really good ever since that Georgia loss at the beginning of the season. But everyone that I listened to, all these college football analysts, everyone, everyone was like, bet on UCLA. Like they might not win the game, but they'll at least keep it close. And this game wasn't close at all. The next games that we're going to talk about, I think four games were all insane, crazy comebacks. This was not, this was just kind of a top 10 matchup where, one team was very dominant. Another team that had looked dominant previously coming into the game was not at all. And, and now we see that Oregon, and again, I keep saying it, their first game against Georgia, they lost 49 to three. And it's like, if you just make that game competitive, they look like such a better team, right? Or at least have a lot more respect right now than they do currently. And it's also because, well, Georgia's the number one team in the country and they should be right. And so that's, that's kind of the, the other like kind of side of this coin here is like, you have to consider that, you know, Oregon has absolutely dominated every single team they've played since that Georgia game, including top 10 team in UCLA. They're going to play Utah at home, I think in a couple of weeks or so. They're probably going to win that game. The rest of their schedule, I think, is like Arizona, Colorado, all teams that they're going to beat. We're talking about an Oregon team that is very likely going to be 11 and 1 going into the end of the season. They'll play the Pac-12 championship against UCLA or USC, probably one, you know, one of those teams. And I think, you know, right, they, if they win that game, it's like Oregon is literally one of the best teams in the country. But the problem is their one loss came in dramatic fashion in a horrible thumping loss on the first week of college football that everybody saw. And obviously that Georgia team is probably also going to make the college football playoff. And so it's one of those things that the one hope the Pac-12 does have is this Oregon team. If they can just get it together and win the Pac-12 and never do, do everything they possibly can. And then the committee comes to decide the, the college football playoff and they're going to be like, ah, yeah, but, but Oregon lost that first game 49 to three. And it's like, of course, the one team they lost to was like the other best team in the country that's taking up their spot in the college football playoff. So yeah, unfortunately the Pac-12 just kind of is what it is, but they're still looking good. There's still the, the, the teams that are here. It's just, it's an improvement. Again, I've been following college football forever. The Pac-12 is looking a lot better than it has in past years this year. And I think there's a lot more to be excited about. There's better teams. There's more storylines. Lincoln Riley, USC, Dan Lanning, the new ho- new head coach at Oregon. Like he's getting basically no credit, but this team is playing out of its mind. And you feel like the fact that he's the first year head coach here and he's a defensive guy. So it's like who even knew that? And Bo Nix was a complete wild card coming into this team. So kudos to Oregon for how much they've done. They're probably not going to get enough respect as they should. They probably won't make it to the college football playoff, which they should. Now I say all of this, and of course, they're probably going to lose to Utah, and then it's all going to go to crap. And then USC is going to have one loss against UCLA, who has the other one loss, and then they're going to both beat each other, and it's just going to be a a classic Pac-12 end of the season. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on to our next game that we're going to talk about, which is Oklahoma State and their comeback against Texas. Now, Oklahoma State outscored Texas 17 to three in the fourth quarter to come back and win 41 to 34, I believe. And you want to talk about some crazy stat lines from this game. Now, you guys, if you guys watched that game, you saw that Quinn Ewers, the quarterback for Texas, he kind of struggled. He went 19 of 49 passing. So he had 30 incompletions. I don't even know what the percentage is for that, but 
it's probably somewhere in like the 30s, mid to low 30s. Now he, he went 19 of 49, only nine, completed 19 passes and had 30 incompletions, but he still passed for 319 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions. Now the three interceptions part is kind of expected. If you have that many incompletions, it's a pretty good chance that some of those are going to be, are going to be interceptions, but the 319 yards part is, is crazy. Like if you think about it, he still averaged per completion. He still averaged over 15 yards of completion, which is like, which is crazy. But, and, and, they lost and he had like a pretty bad stat line. He had 30 incompletions, but it's just like the, the, the ball city they complete went for a lot of yards. Right. And so that that's just one crazy stat line from this game. The next one is the Oklahoma state running back Dom, Dominic Richardson. He had 13 carries for only 24 yards, but he had three touchdowns. It's like, what dude? this, the, the stat lines from both of these teams are just nuts. It's like 13 carries for 24 yards. Again, Per, per rush, that's probably like two. That that's basically just under two yards per rush, but he had three touchdowns. And it, that, honestly, that's like that's like a Legarrette Blunt game right there. You know, Legarrette Blunt back in the day used to have all those all those touchdown runs, and he would he would have like three one yard touchdown runs, and then for the rest of the game, he would just have like two other runs for six yards, and it would it would be like, dude, what the heck? He was the best fantasy running back ever because he would get he would literally get three touchdowns, and he would score like. 18.5 points because you would get five yards otherwise. It was, yeah, it was just crazy. So that's basically the game that Dominic Richardson had for Oklahoma State. Another guy, Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, can't really talk about Oklahoma State without talking about him. He, he I mean, he's just really good. Like, he, he he's really good at the end of games, too. He just, he comes back, and he's one of those guys that's just, like, super, super poised because he's been playing college football for so long that he knows how to make comebacks. And so he was 34 or 57 for passing for almost 400 yards, 391 yards and two touchdowns and only one interception. That's a, that's a great stat line. If you ask me, that's about all I have to say about it, Matt, how, how are you going to break down this game? I just think that for all the, for all the funny reasons, like in the, in the big picture of college football, because Texas is a name brand. It's one of the most storied programs in the history of the sport. And they've been horrible for the last 20 years. Right. They finally get in, you know, a bunch of five-star quarterbacks. They have Quinn Ewers. They have B. John Robinson, the best running back in the country. They have really good defense. They get a bunch of transfer wide receivers. So this team is supposed to be really good to start the season. Well, they lose by one point to Alabama, which was a win for them because they were 20, I think 20 point underdogs. Then they lose in overtime to Texas Tech. And you're like, oh my gosh, can we finally get this team to be doing something here? Well, Quinn Ewers, who Hayden mentioned before, obviously he didn't have a good stat game, stat line in this game but go back if you have time which i don't know if you do but if you have time just 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 go with me all right go back and look at quinn ewer's past few games he's been absolutely lighting it up he's been amazing now he was hurt for the back half of the alabama game he's also over the texas tech game and so they had hudson card in there and he's okay but he's not quinn ewer's because quinn ewer's is a you know five-star quarterback i think they said that he was like the the highest rated quarterback since trevor lawrence or something like that so anyway um he's really good and he showed that when they were playing so then it becomes oh my gosh you know right they lost to texas tech but quinn ewers is playing out of his mind they're winning all these games and they're winning by a ton of points you know are they going to lose another game in the rest of the season and it's like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Because we know that whenever we put high expectations on Texas as a football program, they're going to disappoint us. And that's exactly what happened because they're up in this game. It's like, wow, you're going to Stillwater, Oklahoma is a tough place to play. It's a top 10 team in Oklahoma State. 
and you blow it, right? You're up by seven, you're driving, it's like six minutes left, and then you just get absolutely trounced. And it's like, come on, we can't. So it's fun for me because I like to troll Texas when they're bad and when things don't go right. And so for as much of the talk of, you know, Texas is back and we're one of the best teams in the country, one of the best teams in the Big 12, no, no, they're not. They're not going to be playing for a Big 12 championship at all. They'll probably make a bowl game and it'll just be another depressing season next year. I do think Texas will be very good because, you know, they kind of got the program running now and, and, and there's a lot to look forward to, but for this year and the expectations, we can't, we just can't do it because Texas is always the same team. All right. Next one, LSU and Ole Miss LSU ended up outscoring Ole Miss 28 zip in the second half. Exactly. You got, you got, you got that zilch on the board in the second half for Ole Miss who their coach is Lane Kiffin and probably one of the best offensive minds in college football. And he couldn't even score a touchdown. Couldn't even score a field goal. Couldn't even get in field goal range. I don't know if they had any missed field goals, but I'm just going to assume that they couldn't even get in field goal range. And LSU came out on top. LSU has been a really weird team this season. Brian Kelly caught so much fire for leaving Notre Dame and joining LSU and the way he did the way he left Notre Dame was kind of I don't know dirty I guess of him to to leave Notre Dame in that fashion before they played their college football playoff game but it still happened and he's now at LSU and Ed Orgeron is is obviously out of LSU and they've had a little bit of struggles here and there but like for the most part they're a lot better than the team that they were last year and we're probably going to talk about this this LSU team more in depth episode next episode so I don't want to go too in depth this episode and by the way that that college football topic is going to be very good it's going to be about college football coaches that have turned out to be either really bad or really good wherever they've gone this season so be sure to stay tuned for that episode uh, on Thursday, but yeah, basically this, I think this is just a story of head coaches and Lane Kiffin wasn't able to get it done. Brian Kelly was able to get it done and he's done a, he's done a pretty good job with this team so far this season and LSU, unfortunately with Alabama and Georgia in the sec, they're not going to have any r- real chance of making it to the sec championship game, much less the college football playoff, but it's just kind of nice to see them get started back up again. Yeah, well, they weren't supposed to, right? I mean, I think that's, what we'll get into, as Hayden mentioned, that you know, the topic for that next episode is the fact that they, you know, they LSU always has high expectations. The last three coaches that coached LSU all won national championships. Nick Saban, who obviously then moved to Alabama and has won a bunch of national championships since then, Les Miles in 2007, and then obviously Ed Ogeron in, in 2019. So this is a program that basically anybody can win a national championship here just because of the recruiting and, and the wealth of talent that's in the area and the sec and everything like that. And that's why Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to come here because it's tough to guy, recruit guys to Notre Dame, especially when you're going up against teams like, you know, like LSU and Alabama from the sec, not to mention you're recruiting them to the Midwest, in the middle of Indiana, the like the academic requirements of Notre Dame, like forget about it. So uh, Brian Kelly's like, dude, I don't care. I did a great job. And he did an amazing job for what Notre Dame is. And I don't think Notre Dame's going to have, have the success that they did have under Brian Kelly for a very, very long time. And people are going to be like, Oh, you know, Notre Dame's a story program. Yeah. But it's hard to get guys to come there, especially because of the academics. So Brian Kelly's like, dude, this is like, I've done a way harder, harder, much harder job at Notre Dame. I'm going to go to LSU. And because I'm already such a good coach and you basically automatically get all these great recruits just because of the name brand and everything, LSU is going to be a dominant team. Like an, I, an actual dynasty here. And like, 
give it like three or four years for him to like, you know, get his recruiting under his belt and, you know, get all of his assistant coaches, all, you know, the guys he wants in there and everything for the scheme to fit. But yeah, LSU is going to be amazing anyway. And they also look amazing in this game. And you think, wow, this is a crazy result because LSU is an unranked team and they beat a top 10 team in Ole Miss. Well, let's put it this way, folks. Once again, the betting lines will tell you everything. LSU was favored by two and a half points in this game. So, yes, it's surprising that they won by 25 points, and it's surprising that they outscored Mississippi or Ole Miss by 28 points in the second half, but they were favored to win the game. They were supposed to win the game. You think about that, and it's like, it's you think about it as crazy, like, oh, my God, it's a top 10 upset. Yeah, but not really, because it wasn't even they weren't even favored to win the game. You're like, how is this possible? Well, Ole Miss was undefeated pre- up to this point. They've beaten everyone in their schedule, but their schedule was one of the worst in the country. And so, yes, they'd won all their games, but they were really supposed to win all their games. I mean, they played teams that were really but the best team they played up until then was Kentucky, who is like not even ranked anymore. And they're looking like they're pretty bad. And the next best team is Troy, who's like on top of the Sun Belt. But who's Troy? Exactly. So anyway, that's been Ole Miss's schedule so far this season. And they played well and they won the games they were supposed to win. So they earned a top 10 resume until you kind of play a team that's not even that great but going into death valley is never never uh never an easy conquer and obviously that proved true because lsu kind of kind of ran away with it there so not surprising in terms of lsu winning this game surprising in the way that they were able to make second half adjustments come out and absolutely beat the crap out of Ole miss um so yes kind of as hayden said the the the, the takeaways from this game is that Ole miss is is kind of just in that spot where they might win eight nine ten games you know every couple seasons or so, uh, but LSU is the real, the real stardom here, the real power. And we're going to be looking at them thinking some big things here in the future in the next couple of years. All right. Next big upset that happened was TCU over Kansas state. Now, again, this is that this isn't really an upset because TCU was heavily favored in this game, but they were getting beat 28 to 10 at one point in this game. And they outscored Kansas state TCU outscored Kansas state 28 to zero from that point on and they ended up winning 38 to 28 in a 10 point win over Kansas state. Now Kansas state's quarterback, Adrian Martinez, I think he, he did get hurt. I I think it was in the third quarter, like mid third quarter or something like that. And Adrian Martinez is pretty much Kansas state's whole team. He's pretty much the whole team wherever he plays. He was the whole team in Nebraska when he played there. So it's kind of understandable a little bit, but also Max Duggan is just that guy too. Like you can make that argument as well, just as much as the argument for Kansas state, not having Adrian Martinez TCU having Max Duggan is, I mean, he's pretty much their whole team. Their coaches come out like their coaches come out and said that he's basically, basically if they didn't have Max Duggan, they wouldn't have won like even half of the games that they've won this season. And they've, and I think TCU is, this is their third, this is their third win in a row, I think, against top against ranked teams or something like that, right? So they won four games against ranked teams in the same month, which obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. you know there's four weeks yeah. in a month. So every single game they played in a span of a month was against a ranked team. They beat them all. Yeah, and I think that they're actually they're like the second team ever to do that. I'm pretty sure some or second Big Twelve team ever to do that. I'm pretty sure, which is crazy because like you know Big Twelve used to be big football right texas you had oklahoma you i mean you've had all these really good programs in the past in the big 12 and tcu's doing just that this this season so i think we're going to see tcu continue the success throughout the rest of the season i mean if they've if they've taken down these these big ranked teams consistently over the past four weeks i don't see them not being able to do so in the future i think right now they're ranked 
what are they ranked eight at this eight at this point or something like that? Or yeah, I think they're seventh. Seventh, okay, and then they might even go higher now too because of this game. So yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited for this TCU team though because they're probably going to win the Big Twelve at this point. And right, like they they could earn a spot. They're still undefeated. They could they could definitely earn that spot in the college football playoff, and that would be interesting. Yeah, not much more to say. That's kind of the only point that I was going to make. Kansas State's a good team. And Aiden said at the beginning, TCU was favored. They were at home. Yes. Okay, fine. TCU was only favored by, I think, four, three and a half, I think, was where the line closed. So it was supposed to be a closer game. And obviously, right, Kansas State came out and played like it was. And then TCU came back, just like they did last week at Oklahoma State. So it's like they're they're just – they are overcoming all odds. Now, the only knock against TCU, I think – at least each of those games that we talked about, those those four games against rank opponents, and I think even further back, they've played the backup quarterback for the team that they were playing in at least all of those games. Some of them were like, you know, half a game. Some of them were not. So to some extent, they, they have played, you know, hurt quarterbacks and backup quarterbacks. And so that's helped them win these games. But Hayden's right. I mean, hey, if they stay undefeated, they have to earn a spot in the college football playoff. And that would be awesome because – they definitely deserve it after the performance that they had. Um, so, yeah, nothing else for me here. Hayden, what's the last one? All right, so the last matchup here that we have is Clemson outscoring Syracuse 17-zip in the fourth quarter to save their undefeated season. If you watch this game, Syracuse was up, I think, the whole entire game until basically until Clemson got that 50-yard run by Will Shipley. I'm pretty sure that put them up ahead, like, by one point or something like that, and then after, or three points, and then after that, I think they scored two more touchdowns. Or no, no, sorry. It put them up by like one or three points or something like that. And then they ended up winning the game against Syracuse. Syracuse is a really good team. Their quarterback, something Schrader, he's he, he was tearing it up last uh, this past weekend. And he kind of has all season. Another guy, Sean Tucker, is Syracuse's running back. And he's a lot of people say he's the best player on Syracuse's team. I don't know, but essentially they haven't really been using him enough lately. And I think that against this Clemson team, Syracuse probably figure that they needed to pass a lot more to stay ahead of of Clemson and that was probably the wrong decision because it gave Clemson a chance to come back with more time to come back because if you run the ball you you run the clock down but if you pass the ball good chance that you're going to stop the clock a few times with some incompletions so yeah also the story of this game is is DJ Uyagule being benched and that was the whole story but I've read a lot of things that say that he's that no matter what he's going to start next game and like everything's going to be fine, but I don't know that that creates a lot of, when, when a quarterback gets benched because he's playing so bad, like he didn't get benched because he was a little bit hurt. No, he got benched because he was bad because they were about to lose the game because of him. And they ended up not losing the game probably because they benched him. So you look at it and it's like from a player's perspective on Clemson, if I'm playing for Clemson, I look at it and I'm like, Hey, I don't know if this is our guy. And I'm pretty sure he got benched last season too. So it's like, Dude, I, what's going on with this guy? We thought he was playing a lot better this season, but he gets benched against a team like Syracuse. I don't know, Matt. Do you have do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's it's tough, but I think I think he just had a bad game. Everything that I kind of read from this and from what I watched from the game, he he did he's had a bad game. He's been playing really well this season. I think the problem is everybody points to last season when he was all oh, the offense was so horrible, and he did play pretty badly last season. But this season, I think he led the country in, like prior to this game, he led the country in explosive pass rate or, or some some sort of like down the field metric of passing 
which is really good, especially because they don't have those typical Clemson type receivers that you expect those, you know, big, long guys. Like, you know, there's not really any staple names or anything. He's kind of just doing this with, with some random guys and he's been playing really well. He just had a bad game today or on Saturday. And I think that he's going to continue to start. And the thing too, is Cade Klubnick, the guy that came in as backup, I think went two for five for like 19 yards. And he had that one good, you know, two point conversion, but like, he didn't play that well. He didn't play better than DJ. So this is still DJ's team. He'll get it right for the rest of the season. And, and the thing is, like, I think Clemson's kind of in a box right now because the rest of their schedule is extremely easy. And then the team they play in, well, so they'll, what I meant to say was the rest of their schedule is very easy. They'll very likely win all the rest of their games. They'll go 12-0 in the regular season. The ACC Conference Championship is probably going to, they're probably going to play UNC. And as much as UNC has very looked very exciting so far, Clemson's defense is probably going to shut them down. And so Clemson's probably going to win the ACC. They're going to go to the college football playoff because they're going to be 13 and no conference champions. You can't not let them in, but like that's the ceiling, right? The Clemson's not going to be able to beat Ohio state, Georgia, or Alabama, or whoever makes it to the college football playoff. The only chance they have is like against like, if like Michigan like magically makes it in there or like a TCU. Right. But like those top three teams are going to crush Clemson. So it's kind of like Clemson's going to go undefeated. They're going to look like the best team in college football, or, you know, record wise, they're probably going to have the best record and, and look the most dominant because they played an easy ACC schedule, but they're, they're not better than the top, top team. So it's kind of like this, I feel like they're kind of just trapped where it's like, they're going to win all their games. That's all they can do, right? You win the games that are part of your schedule. You look dominant in those games. You win your conference championship. That's everything that you can do to get the college football playoff, but they're not on the same level as those top teams. And so once they get there, which they will get there, if you can bet on it, bet on it, because Clemson will make the college football playoff at this point. But once they get there, they're not going to be able to really beat these teams that are going to also be competing for a college football playoff championship. I completely agree, and that's a great way to end off today's episode. Like I said, be sure to be on the lookout for next episode on coming out on Thursday because that's going to be one where we break down a lot of the college football coach mo- movement this past offseason and break down which coaches have been very beneficial to their programs, to their new programs, and which coaches haven't really been beneficial. And it's actually kind of like a little flip-flop action where – the coaches we expected to be good are not really that good. And the coaches we didn't really expect much from are actually turning around the program in, in very good ways. And so that's going to be next episode. Uh, again, next episode is more of a freelance type deal where we kind of just go over whatever we want to talk about. There might be some other sports make in the mix there. We might talk a little bit of NHL since we haven't so far this season. I've been following it a lot more, and so I'm kind of itching to talk about it a little bit. So maybe we'll throw some in there. I'm sure that we'll probably have some kind of NFL topic as well, assuming something happens in the news this week or in the media. So, yeah, that's going to be that, and really excited to do so. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next.